Hey podcast, welcome back. My name is Jasmine Wonders. I am one of your co-hosts along with RJ Rome. Before we jump straight into the episode, I want to take a second to say thank you for being here. And if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe, leave us a comment on social with your thoughts. And now to the episode. Today, we're interviewing indie author Callie Brixton. Welcome, Callie. Thank you for having me, ladies. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Yes, I can. I am a Kentucky girl who lives in West Virginia, and I just released my very first book, Baby, into the world in December of last year. Um, I'm an avid romance fan and have been since I first watched Cinderella when I was a little girl. I am forever chasing that happily ever after. Um, I'm also a teacher and um, I'm married to a wonderful, wonderful man. We've been married for almost 12 years now and June will actually make 14 years that we've been together. So, bless girl. Awesome. So, tell me... What inspired you? Because I know you were a book blogger first. Uh-huh. Now you're you're writing your own romance, and obviously you said you're an English teacher. So how how did you morph into each role? What inspired you? It has been a, a journey. <laughs> um, I've always loved writing. Even when I was in grade school, English was always where my heart was. Uh, English and math, which is weird, but. <laughs> Um, I always loved grammar rules. I always loved, and I think that's why I love math so much, is because I love um, knowing where my boundaries are. Like, you know, what can I do? What can I do? And then I take what I can and run with it. So um, the love of writing began very young. And um, I wasn't, to be honest, I was not a big reader past middle school I got really burnt out on reading a lot of it because as you all know in high school and college they absolutely slam you with reading (laughs) and And not what you really want to read exactly and it does I say that as a a freshman high school English teacher it's a lot of reading and it does stifle the love of reading sometimes when you have to fit in a curriculum unfortunately um but actually, like when I really started getting into romance, I had went through breast cancer about six years ago. November will make seven years um, that I will hopefully be cancer free. I had my surgery in December of that year. So um, I went through a period where I just started second guessing everything in my life. And, you know, my husband and I had to have a lot of hard talks. Um, one of them was what would happen to him if I didn't survive and that was a very difficult conversation and some of the other conversations of course were a little bit lighter hearted you know what makes us happy what you know what would bring joy to our lives because in addition to finding out about you know breast cancer um, I also found out that I would be unable to have children so (laughs) we had heartbreaking uh, it, it was tough, um, and my, my heart always goes out to people who are infertile or have trouble. Um, it's just it's a, it's hard when all I've ever wanted in life was to be a wife and a mother. And I know that sounds so simple, but um, to me, that's where joy comes from—is in your family. And right. well, we we share that because I feel the same. 
Oh, that's good. It's, it's, it is, it's the thing that gets you through every day because the world can be against you. But if you have a, a strong family connection, that can make you move, feel like you can move mountains. Um, so, I, you know, we had long conversations about that. And I had been sort of journaling my journey through breast cancer on Facebook and just, you know, getting people, you know, giving people updates. And I had a lot of people, it been a long time since I'd written, and I had a lot of people who were messaging um, that were like, you know, we should really think about writing. And it was such a, such a wonderful compliment, especially at a time when I was just not at my best. Um, I, I struggled with depression a couple of years after the cancer, which was a very odd time to kind of really, for it to slam into me. Um, but you just go through so many things and everybody grieves the process differently. I was blessed to know that I had a good prognosis, but you still have to kind of mourn your mentality and things like that. Of course. <laughs> In the process of going through all the depression, I had stumbled upon Wattpad. And I found a lot of, you know, romance stories. And I, I realized that as I was reading them, how much joy it brought to me to watch, you know, two people fall in love and, and get their happily ever after. And it went straight back to me being a little girl watching Cinderella, you know, overcome the obstacles and fall in love and live happily ever after. Um, so through Wattpad, I found Radish, then I came into Instagram, and I noticed there was a lot of book blogging going on. I was like, you know, well, I'd love to share my, my love of books and my love of romance with other people. And um, through that, I actually picked up, of course, you all in the Loop fam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're old school Loop fam. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, of course, met Lawrence, and we did the Loops together. And I had so many wonderful people that came into my life. Had already met a few really wonderful romance authors that just made my heart so happy with their story. And I've had a few stories in me that have just kind of been waiting to come out. And I thought, you know, why not? You know, why right. not try and chase after this dream? So that was kind of what spurned me on because I really started thinking, you know, if I'm not going to be a mom, if, you know, life is not going to go as we had planned it to, what would bring me joy? And really, honestly, it's just writing something that brings someone else joy. That's so powerful. That's amazing. And the Loop Fam, I, it, it was one of the best things I've ever found, to be honest. And I found the same camaraderie, like you had just mentioned. So you released your debut novel in December, To Have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want to tell us a little bit about that? I can. Um, it is Brother's Best Friend, of course, contemporary. Um, there is a lot, and there will always be a lot of heart issues addressed in my books, just because going through, when I went through breast cancer, I was 29, and we had just decided to start a thing, and then it was kind of like, oh, no, forget that. Uh, <laughs> so I want my romance to deal with things that um, show that life may not always go as planned, but you know, that doesn't mean that life can't be wonderful and happy, too, just in a different way. Right. Uh, so the book is about Charlotte uh, Kaysen, who is a ballerina, and she loves dancing. She's not professional, but she loves the dance, and she has always been in love with her brother's best friend, Deacon, since they were little kids. She was actually the first to meet him. Deacon was always in love with her, and as it goes with most of your brother's best friend's romances, they couldn't be together due to some 
uh, unforeseen circumstances that kind of took their lives in different directions. But uh, the story is just their journey of coming together and being together. And they will play a very central part in the rest of the series from this point out. Another new release that you just, uh, we were both part of, um, is the summer anthologies, Summer Heat and Summer, summer Sizzle, and you're in Summer Sizzle, and your story, Smoke and Mirrors. Um, it sounds pretty hot. I haven't gotten to read it yet, but um, I saw the reviews, and they were pretty steamy. <laughs> so, can, can you elaborate on Smoke and Mirrors? I can. Um, it, it was a stretch for me because I've never written anything so short since I was in, you know, school it was really um, tough it's it, very tough <laughs> I completely agree if you're like to have was 83,000 words and I'm working on the second edition right now and adding new content so looking at about 90 when you're given about 13,000 it's like ooh, how do I tell a story in that right agreed <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it's a stretch for your creativity too right it was difficult I'm very long, long-winded I think so um yeah it was a challenge for sure Girl, I understand that. (laughs) I'm a talker, and I will go on and on and on, especially in the books. Um, So, yeah, it was a challenge, but I will say this without giving too much away because it's one of those stories that it has a twist in it. Um, There's some things that you think there's no way, and people who know me know my certain likes with romance, and a lot of the people who have read it, they, I've gotten the message very commonly, I could not believe that you wrote that at first, and I was so mad at you. But then I got to the end, and I'm like, okay, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say this. It is a story that reads very differently the second time you read it because you'll understand. It's like watching a movie that you've already seen once before. You know what's going to happen, so you pick up on all the little things the second time through. So if anybody reads it, please don't get mad at me and just read it all the way through. (laughs) And then go back and read it again and see if it reads differently. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) So I'm sure, like, when you're writing, distractions are a huge part of the process. How do you kind of stay focused on the goal at hand and and finish writing these stories? That's a good question. Um, Very poorly right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know about you all, but I'm I'm just the type of person. I'm pretty sure I have undiagnosed ADD. Um, I have for a long time and just never really realized it um, much until I became an adult. But I do so much better in a very quiet, very... um, uh, low-key environment and I will tell my husband you know I'll put in earbuds I'll you know go in a separate room and he's like well you can write you know where you're like no I can't because any distraction and this is not going to <laughs> going to do well um and I'm, I'm a night owl so I try to write at night when I know it's quiet and peaceful in the house and I can kind of like cry through some of the scenes and I know my husband's not standing there like what's wrong <laughs> so <laughs> um but it's it's definitely it's trial and error as with any writer um but for the most part I've noticed when I can go off to myself and just completely block out anything I can't even listen to lyrical music it distracts me mm. so I have to listen to either classical or um just like the you know the actual music part of, or the instrumental part of a song in order to work through uh, any type of scene that I feel like, you know, the music would 
company it and would inspire me. So it's just, it's definitely been trial and error. I'm sure, you know, you all understand, especially RJ, you writing too. I'm sure you, you have your quirks and everything that you're kind of learning about yourself as you write more rock. I sure am. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like with each, each book that I write, it changes. <laughs> I, don't I, know. I don't know what's happening, but it's changed. It's evolving. I agree. I agree. Jasmine, do you write as well? I do. I haven't released anything yet, but, um, well, I release poetry every once in a while because usually that's kind of how I process emotions. I have to write it out that way. And I've been like that since a kid. So. Yeah. Isn't it funny how writing is such a catharsis and so it's such a different way for everyone. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. (laughs) I'm curious when you first started writing, did you, I guess like there's always this assumption going in that you're in it alone, you know? So what did, what did you think of that when you first started? Did you, did you, were you overwhelmed? Did you think like, Oh my God, I have to do this alone. I don't know what I'm doing. Going the self-published route. It's, Mm -hmm. it's definitely overwhelming just because especially doing your first book, um, there's, there's so many things that fall to your shoulders. And especially if you're not in a financial position to hire out and delegate the jobs, you have even more stacked upon you. Um, but I think that's, that's something I've learned for this next book and for the one factor is that the writing comes first, everything else will be worked out, but the writing has to come first. Um, but it was, I was very surprised because, um, you just you don't realize going in being a first time author how much there is to do um, outside of writing mm-hmm. as part of the writing you know part, as part of the publishing process I guess I should say um, but it was definitely a learning curve but I was very fortunate to have a lot of people um, in the in the Loop family and you know my author groups and you know people who have just been there who were kind of guiding me and saying okay you really need to go ahead and do this or you need to look into doing this or you know just all kinds of just peppering me with advice and it really did help kind of soften the blow just because I knew okay I'm getting ready to go into a hailstorm of crazy Mm -hmm. but at least I know to bring like a really stout umbrella with me (laughs) 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 Um, and that helps having community is probably my number one piece of advice for a new writer. Um, you have to have people there to remind you that storm will pass or else you will put down the keyboard and never pick it up again because it can become overwhelming. That's true. Very true. (laughs) Did you ever have a moment like that? Oh yes. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a few. Um, confident and sure of their own writing that it's like oh yeah this is easy I just sit down and write and it's all good um Mm-mm. every writer yeah, yeah. If, if you want to be humble try writing yeah. um and it, it's not as bad when you write it for yourself but when you're writing it for publication for other people to look at it there's a lot of self-doubt that creeps in because of course no one wants to put anything out there that you're like that's mm-hmm. right <laughs> um but I did have a moment, and I know RJ is probably knowledgeable of this going on. Um, a few fellow indies and I were receiving some bogus one-star reviews on Goodreads. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I heard all about that. <laughs> oh, girl, yes. 
any and I'm sure and that's I know RJ can say that too it is such a hit to your confidence when at first you don't really know if that's what it is or if your work just sucks so much right why are you writing mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I mean like if there's a one star no comment it's it's like come on like tell me why <laughs> at least if they have a reason why it's one star then you know I'm, I'm okay with it I can accept that yeah, exactly. It's it's just like with medicine, you know, Mary Poppins, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. It really does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, as a reviewer, I, I learned a lot being an author, too, about how, and I've always tried to be a positive reviewer. If I read something I didn't like, I tended not to review just because I didn't want to destroy the author. You know what I mean? Right. If I had something I needed to say, I would send him a comment and say, hey, you might want to work on this, or this is something that I didn't really think went well with the story. Just, you know, constructive criticism. Right. Um but I, and I think that's a lot of it too is just accepting that there are people out there in the world who live to make others feel bad about themselves mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, you know. And and some will never understand. But if you can, it's unfortunate. It, it is. I agree, and it, it makes you realize that when you have that community of people who are saying you can do this, don't listen to them, just keep at it it makes those people all the more precious who see you and see what you're talented at um, and, and keep encouraging you because encouragement makes such a difference in people's lives. Right. Do you have, do you have a rule like that you're not constantly checking your reviews or like, does it bother you to read them? That's become a, a new rule. <laughs> Learn that. I could part. drive myself crazy checking all the time, and Jasmine always yells at me. Don't don't look at it. <laughs> it's true. It. It's true. It's um, and and that is that is a very true point because you will absolutely drive yourself nuts looking at it because even though you might have fifty five star reviews that are like this is just such an amazing book and I can't wait to read more those two or three one-star or two-star reviews that are absolutely like lambasting you are the ones that stick out to you. So I always try, and this has kind of been a new thing, if I do go and I I, I limit myself to how many times I'll go and look at Goodreads, I try not to do it more than maybe once every two weeks now, um, just because I don't want to punish myself. (laughs) 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 But I, I have also learned that it's good if you read a bad review, even if it's your newest review, go back and read someone who really loved your work and remind yourself that you're not always going to be everyone's cup of tea, that you will be someone's flavor somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Well said. Yeah. Great perspective. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so what has quarantine been like for you? What does it look like? Have you been writing, reading? Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've, and I've heard this a lot in some of the chat groups I'm in. I think a lot of people have had trouble just reading because it's been such an unprecedented time and there are really no clear answers as to how all this is going to play out in history. So I think that it's, you know, I'm in the majority when I say writing's been tough and reading's been tough. Um, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I thought I was going to 
I have a whole book completed by now and it's not not happening. <laughs> that's yeah, that's that was my plan was to have to hold, which is the second book of the vow series, ready to go and ready for release in June. And I have struggled hardcore, even though I love the characters, I've struggled. Um my creativity's just struggled because it's just been so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been very blessed. I've got to work from home. Um, and my respect goes out to everyone who's had to go and work in all this and put themselves at risk. Um, you know, of course, your first responders and your people who work in the healthcare industry, but also the people who are going in and working at our restaurants. Those mm-hmm. people are risking themselves for very little pay and you know they deserve accolades too you know for yes, what they do um but it's I've been blessed because my husband's at home and we've got to spend a lot of time and we're each other's best friends so it's been great getting to sort of hang out <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and all that fun stuff and and getting to work from home um uh, teaching online was definitely a challenge but thankfully we went to google classroom this year mm-hmm. and my kids were already used to how things work so that was a blessing for them to know what to do and me to not have to try and teach you know 100 some kids okay this is what we're going to change to now so <laughs> yeah you got to adapt <laughs> definitely have to adapt through yes. these times how has quarantine been for you all crazy <laughs> <laughs> I'm a homebody, so I think for me, I'm having more of a struggle thinking about going back to my normal life because my normal life has, it's been hectic for the last couple years and not just with writing, it's working full time. I do have two children. I've, I have a husband, my dog, like it's just, it's a lot of responsibility. And while I'm at home, it's been a good different, different, but a good different. And I'm enjoying it. So I'm struggling with returning to normal life. I may be the only one out there, but. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think at all. I think it's, um, I've noticed with my kids in class, because we're at freshmen, I try to talk to them and just kind of like understand their perspective on like why they get so frustrated with their parents. Because we were all teenagers and we all had that teenage angst, you know, bubbling beneath the surface. Um, But something I noticed that my kids were talking about that I think quarantine has helped with a lot is before quarantine, they talked about how they don't sit down and eat dinner together with their family ever. Um, they don't know, you know, their parents don't know what their favorite color is. You know, their, their parents don't, you know, they're not as active in their life as they want them to be, even though, and I always remind them, you know, when you go in your room and you shut the door in your parents' face and you act like you don't want to talk to them, that probably is why they leave you alone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Probably. Uh, you know, sort of devil's advocate on both sides, but, um, it's to hear those kind of answers. I think that was so enlightening that, regardless of how crazy life gets kids just want their parents attention and they want to know that their parents care about the little things that matter to them um so that was very enlightening uh, and I got to kind of share that wisdom with a few of my parents that were like you know I don't know and I'm like just play it a game with them you know ask them what their favorite color is and I know this is a stupid example to tie into it but when my grandmother passed away three years ago, I was the only person in the family that knew what her favorite flower was and what color. Um, and it, it's because I just, you know, we had those conversations and those conversations are some of the ones that will stick with you for the rest of your life. 
even when that person's gone. Your kids are lucky to have you and as a teacher and their parents as well. That's, that's <laughs> great. Thank you. I appreciate that. You teach English, right? I do, yes. Okay, so a question I have then is, how do you make <laughs> reading for them fun in a way that it wasn't for you when you were in school? That's a good question. I, I don't have a great answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Um, mostly because the freshman curriculum has Romeo and Juliet in it, which is mm. always their first foray into Shakespeare. <laughs> that is tough. I will not lie. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's near tears shed over the Avery. <laughs> mm. I bet. <laughs> but my biggest thing I've, I've really tried to do, because I've been in teaching almost as long as I've been married, like too much shy of it, is I try to always find something in each scene to relate to them. Um, just like in Romeo and Juliet, there's certain, you know, circumstances where, for example, you get a lot of the conversations being had with Juliet and her nurse and with Romeo and his cousin and best friend. And I, you know, will always ask the question, why did they not just come and talk to their parents? And it's because kids, you know, feel more comfortable talking with their friends. And sometimes it's just having a neutral person that's not their parents to listen to them, um, who aren't trying to solve the problem for them. Not because, you know, I mean, parents do that because they care about their kids and don't want their kids to hurt. But sometimes kids just like working things out for themselves to know, hey, I can do this, you know, if I have to. But um, I always try and kick it back to them in a way where we're discussing them not as characters, but as real people. You know, if this were 2020, how would you all be reacting in this situation? And that seems to help. Um, there are some days when I would rather be stabbed with a rusty spoon in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, <thank> you. <laughs> I just got a visual. <laughs> and then, probably would too. Um, <laughs> but it definitely, it for the most part, it does help for them to just feel like, okay, this is written 400 years ago, but how does it help me in today's society? How does this um, help me, you know, understand how human nature works? And that's been a fun part of this year. I always tried to tie, I don't know if y'all have ever done the Myers-Briggs personality test. Yes. Have you all ever done it? Definitely okay. have. Do you all think it's like freaky and thoughtful? Yes, I do. I think it's too freaky. No, it's scary. <laughs> and I had them do their test at the beginning of the year, and I would sometimes bring up certain tendencies that certain types would have. And I'm like, this is why, you know, we study this, because it's not just a study of these fake characters. It's a study of psychology and human behavior. Um, and I always love to throw serial killer, <laughs> serial killer analysis into it, because <laughs> it's weird enough but um it to get into someone's mind that you cannot understand initially it's both a scary thing but i think it's important for human beings to be able to get into people's minds that they don't understand mm. and see what their motivations are um okay. so that's been something i've been trying it's helped a little bit now are there days that it's like can we please just leave here and i'm like yes please let's just get out of here and <laughs> specifically friday <laughs> Do you think that what you've gone through has kind of made you a better writer in a way? I like to think yes, um, simply because it's it helps me to deal with tragedy more. Mm. I've known a few people that I got close to who had breast cancer who passed away that were just a couple years older than me. Mm. So that has been a, a big 
sticky point with me, um, especially as a writer, is, you know, tragedy sucks and it's hard to write it, which my favorite author is Edgar Allan Poe's that says a lot about me and tragedy. But, (laughs) (laughs) But to make such a very human, very tragic thing beautiful, it's a hard feat. Um, but as a writer, I want people to see that, you know, even in the hardest tragedies, there can come beauty, there can come hope, there can come grace. Um, so that way it's not all gloom and doom in the world is ending because that, you know, you have to have something that gets you up in the morning. And that was something I learned going through cancer. You have to have something that gets you up in the morning every day to motivate you. If you don't, you won't make it. Right. We'll stay in that in that cocoon of loneliness and oscillation and sadness. That was spoken like a true romantic right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> All right, so I have a question about social media. Obviously, yes. you're on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I, I know that I've heard you say before that you don't like Facebook. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Tell I- us why. Okay, so I have Facebook. I know it's a necessary evil. A lot of it is because I have a hard time, again, attention problems. Um, I have a hard time splitting my attention between two, and that's something I know Facebook has to be my next frontier. I have to just suck it up and break. But (laughs) um, I had originally, like before I came to Instagram, Facebook was my favorite. But what I did notice on my real person Facebook, as opposed to my pen name, where whenever I would go onto the feed, it just made me feel worse um, mm. because there was so much, not just negativity, but there was also so many things that people would complain about. And I guess going through the cancer, it changed so many things about the way I look at the world. But when people would complain about stuff that it's like, does that really matter in the scheme of life? And I guess <laughs> it was more just self-preservation that I'm like, okay, if I don't get off here, I'm going to go on a rampage and it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> right. <laughs> Southern sass is coming out, and ain't going to go back. <laughs> How about but, Twitter? Twitter, I, I stay away from as much as I can because I think it's junk. and <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because, honestly, it's all because I cannot figure out Twitter, and they limit me, you know, being verbose and <laughs> wordy. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't well, like you're cutting me off. <laughs> yep. Well, your Instagram is so pretty, so it's okay. You can just stick with one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) I do love that about Instagram, that it's very visual, and I'm a visual learner, and I just love looking at pretty pictures. Don't you all? I do. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we only have a couple minutes left. Anything else you want to share with us? Um, Any releases? Big news coming up? I do have a lot in the works, so I will say that um, to hold as soon as I can get it really finished up and polished up, I'm going to be releasing it. I know sometime this summer, the second edition of To Have will be coming out in June. I don't have a date yet, but I will be announcing it on Instagram. So if you, you know, if anyone listening to this wants to follow and keep up with it, it'll be on there. Um, I do have a couple anthologies coming out later this year into next year, and I will also be releasing Mason's book, who is going to be the third book, later on. Um, And I know uh, RJ knows Nicole Rodriguez and probably Shannon Swenson, Kara Wade. We are doing a a prequel novella 
to our series called Sin and Secrets that will start in November. And it is basically about these four women who um, own a strip club. <laughs> and it's it's definitely a stretch for me because I've never even been inside of one. So, you know, a lot of imagination going on there. But, <laughs> but um, it is all about how these women take something that's meant to degrade women and they turn it into a source of empowerment. So the prequel will come out first and then we will have a novel featuring each of our characters in each books and there will be hopefully some tie-ins to our other series so anyone who follows us regularly they'll see some characters mentioned and popping up they're like oh okay i know who that is (laughs) i love it love it (laughs) thank you well thank you so much for doing this and talking about your your you know your life journey um we appreciate you sharing such honest you know stories with us and we wish you health, happiness, success, and a full-time writing career. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all so much for having me. The honor is all mine, and I wish the same for both of you all, and maybe someday we can get an RV and go traveling around to all these conventions. (laughs) I hope so. That sounds nice. Yep. (laughs) That's the goal. (laughs) Girls road trip. Right. Yes. And I guess I should, I'm sorry, I forgot to say this. Thank you to everyone who's listening in to this whenever you all listen to the podcast. And I wish you all the best success with this podcast. I think what you all are doing is amazing. Um, And especially as an indie author and someone who knows a lot of indie authors, these are the things that can help someone not just be discovered, but also just to get your name out for people to get to know you as a person. So thank you all so much for doing this. This is awesome. And thank you all for giving your time and your energy towards it. Thank you. Thank you. We're we're having fun doing it. So hopefully we get to keep doing it. I'm so glad. (laughs) It was was great meeting you, by the way. Yes, great to meet you finally. Talk to you. Same to you all. And I hope it won't be the last time we get to chit-chat, even if it's on Instagram and a group. Yes, definitely not. Because we know I hate Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. We don't hang out on Twitter that much anyway. Yeah, we're we're bad. I'm bad with social media. Right. (laughs) Have a great weekend. Thank you. You all too. All right. Bye. 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 If you made it this far, you survived another episode of Married to My Writing. Join us for our next interview when we talk with Kristen Morgan and what it's like to be traditionally published. Until next time.